from the basement of the Bob and Tom Studios. It's that Josh Arnold podcast. Well, howdy. How the heck are you? My goodness. Look at you. All dressed up today. (laughs) It sure is nice to have you back with me. Oh, man. Oh, man. First week of November. And how are we celebrating? Well, I'll tell you how. With a very special guest on today's podcast. Oh, one of my favorite people. And, uh, well, a very well-known and esteemed person in our society. It's you! That's right! It's you. And uh, thank goodness you're here. I hope you had a wonderful Halloween. I know I had a fun time. Uh, About 50 or so trick-or-treaters. And, uh, boy, it was nice. It was, uh, well, the weather where I'm at uh, was uh, very nice and... Uh, it was a good. It was a good evening. There were some fun um, uh, costumes. You know what I just realized? No jokes this year, which I've, I've been told might be a regional thing. When I grew up in St. Louis, oftentimes you would walk up to a house and, in order to get candy, you would have to tell a joke, and so you would have your Halloween joke prepared um, and ready to d- deliver at every house. Um, so, but none of that. Where I am uh, now, so it must maybe it is a regional thing. But um, in fact, I think I mentioned it one morning on the Bob and Tom show, and everybody looked at me like I was nuts. So anyway, that's certainly a St. Louis tradition. Um, a fun one, you know. Get a joke, tell a joke, uh, get some candy. Man, I am gonna miss uh, October. It's my favorite month. I love it. I hope you had a fine one. I know I did. I just love the the feel of it. And turning on the TV, I always have AMC or Turner Classic or something like that on because they're inevitably showing some Halloween-related scary movie that uh, I just I love those. So uh, anyway, onward and upward with November. And it is the first week of November. And today, my goodness, Election Day and... Uh, well, there are many reminders out there uh, about that this is indeed Election Day. I know here I am in the basement of the Bob and Tom Studios. It's very dark. It's mildewy. and um, uh, But one of the rats that ran by had an I Voted sticker on it. And uh, I'm just another, okay, yeah, yeah, that's it is indeed Election Day. I uh, would like to spend the next hour talking to you about politics and uh, how we each differ in our beliefs. And I am kidding. I would not do that to you. <laughs> but I will talk a little. I, I voted already. I um, The show went off the air at uh, 10.05 or so uh, Eastern Standard Time. And I left the building, went to uh, my polling place, which this year happened to be a fire station. And... Pulled up and there were, uh, oh, I, well, there was quite a line. And I didn't know how fast it would be moving. Everybody was six feet apart, of course. And, uh, you know, a pretty lengthy line. But I thought, ah, well, maybe this will move. And uh, from uh, the time I got in line to the time I got back to my car, it was like maybe 58 minutes. So just under an hour it took me to to do my civic duty. 
And it was interesting. It's uh, a nice day uh, here, and um, so standing outside wasn't unpleasant. But it, it kind of struck me. There were a couple things that struck me about this, uh, and it made me think about other election days of of yore, if you will, you know, election days in the past. I wonder if they were ever a sort of celebratory time because this uh, didn't feel like one. It was standing in line. Um, you know, everybody was fairly quiet and um, nobody seemed unhappy, but nobody, nobody seemed excited <laughs> about being there. Um, it, 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 it felt sort of somber and every nobody was really talking with one another. Which I get. We're all strangers in a in a single file line. Uh, you know, it's always kind of weird when people who don't know each other are in a group. They don't necessarily talk. Some will, but there was just no small talk going on at all. And I mean, I was in a line with a uh, hundred people or so, and there were some people on their phones, which seemed to annoy others. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it was almost as though everybody were treating each other like they didn't know if they were uh, um, among friends or enemies. <laughs> it just had that feel of, hey, is the person next to me, are they aligned with uh, my way of thinking or my philosophies, my political beliefs? Um, it was almost like we knew everybody it was like there was a spy in our midst and we just didn't know who it was and so we were all like afraid to talk to each other <laughs> and even people walking out cuz we as as you're waiting to go in people are coming out and, and they, a lot of them had their voter i voted stickers on it none of them seemed particularly excited um or happy about what they had just done now i can't I'm just basing that on how they look. I don't know what I expect. I don't expect people to be coming out doing cartwheels and, and things like that. But I know that when I got through the line and I got up there and um, was getting ready to uh, show my ID and get my ballot, which, by the way, my ID has an address on it that is not my current address. So I was doing that thing where uh, where you know that there's like a chance there's going to be an issue and so, you know, in my head, I'm like, okay, how am I going to react when they go, you can't, you need to do, you need to come back with some form of uh, proof of address or something. <laughs> am I going to react civilly? <laughs> am I going to ask if I can just skip the line when I return? It was one of those things where you just don't know how you're going to react if someone tells you, hey, you've waited all this time, but. Um, I, I'm sorry. You're you can't <laughs> you can't do what you came here to do right now. Uh, luck, luckily, no issue at all. It was very easy. I got my ballot there, filled it out, and uh, you know, voted as I voted. Um, and uh, well, I, I I'm not afraid to tell you, I voted all of the judges out. That's right, every one of them. <laughs> There's a list of 20 or so judges on there. Shall so-and-so keep their seat? No way. You're gone. <laughs> why do I vote that way? I don't know. I'll, here's, here, I'll tell you why. When I was a kid, I remember, uh, well, I, I say kid, but I was 18, and it was my first election, and boy, I guess that was 96. 
Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep, 96. Uh, you turned 18 that May, and so this was my first uh, chance to vote. And I remember I had no idea about the judges uh, being on the ballot. And uh, <laughs> um, I think I just sort of randomly hit yes or no when I voted then. And then I got home and go, man, what was with all those judges? And my, I remember my dad going, I just vote them all out. <laughs> and I go, why? And he goes, oh, I just always assume they've been in there long enough. <laughs> he based it on nothing but just that assumption. And uh, so that's how I work now. That's how I operate. <laughs> I just, yeah, you know what? They've probably been in there long enough. <laughs> so anyway, um, but I'll be honest, after I was done, um, I first off, I liked the voting process. It was very, it was all, di- it was, you know, uh, touch screen and then you, your ballot prints, at least for me, I, it printed out there and then I uh, took it up and fed it into this machine and that was that. And when I left, I went, you know what, that does feel pretty good. Uh, you know, all the election nonsense, all the, uh, uh, the scary news and the fear mongering and the after, uh, you know, when you do it and even after the waiting and all that, you know, it, it does feel like, you know what, I am a part of this and... Uh, Hey, I may live in a state that's not considered one of the key swing states or whatever, but you know what? I still voted, and it, it did. It, it, felt, it felt pretty good. So there was one other thing I noticed, though. There was a gentleman with his wife. It was very sweet. They were uh, about five or six ahead of me in line, and they looked to be in their, oh, late 70s, early 80s. And she seemed to be in terrific shape, and uh, he seemed to be in less terrific shape, but my gosh, he was there to vote, and he was uh, a veteran. He was wearing a a hat, uh, a Navy hat, and, um, you know, telling you what, uh, uh, when he served and, and, and that kind of thing. And he had a slight palsy in his right arm, a bit of a tremor there, and, uh, he was, he stood in line for, for an hour and man, and I, you know, I, it was just, it was very nice. And she was uh, holding his hand and she had her arm tucked in his arm. And it was just a very, it was a very sweet moment. Um, but I, I, I did think to myself, doesn't this guy automatically go to the front of the line? Are we really, are we going to make our 80-year-old veterans wait for an hour outside? And, I, and part of me went, you know what, I bet if I kind of stepped out of line and I said, hey, everybody, look, this gentleman here, he's a veteran, why don't we all just let him go now? We'll go ahead and get up. And I could have done that, but I didn't because it's, well, you know, I'm a, it's an awkward sort of thing to do. And what if it upset somebody? And then that would have been weird. <laughs> that would have been weird. But uh, I feel like... If you're a, any veteran, whether you're, uh, you know, 23 and or or you're serving currently, you, you go ahead. We can wait. We, yes, we all have things to do and places to be, but we will happily wait for you. Go ahead, vote. My goodness, I mean, if anybody should be voting, it's uh, people who have fought for our uh, our country. So yeah, my gosh, let them up, uh, let them up front there. But it was a really, it was it was just a really nice. Nice thing, and this husband and wife, uh, you know, still very loving with each other, and uh, she was there, by gosh, to help her her husband cast his vote, and uh, 
I just, I, I was really, really happy to see it. It really touched me. So, anyway, if you vote, great. If you've already voted, terrific. If you don't vote, hey, all right. I'm not one of those people that believes you can't complain if you don't vote. To me, not voting is sort of a way of voting. <laughs> you went, you know what? None of this is for me. I'm out. <laughs> and I still think you have the right to complain. So uh, I know that's uh, not necessarily a popular theory, but hey, that's all right. But let's move on, shall we? Uh, we we may, uh, and yes, I know, I, again, another rat just, just ran by with his I voted sticker. My goodness. Post your selfie already and uh, let's move on. Jeez. Well, let's go ahead and get uh, going with what many consider to be the most exciting moment of the uh, of that Josh Arnold podcast, Vocabulary Corner. Oh my, listen, <laughs> it's a party. That, that, that is excellent. That had sort of a... Uh, um, a patriotic feel to it, right? That sort of feels like a post-election. Uh, hey, uh, we're uh, we're at the tavern, and we're all sort of uh, toasting and cheering, and uh, yeah, I liked it. But we should toast and cheer vocabulary. We learn things. We learn new words that we well, actually, we're probably learning ancient words, but they we can uh, they're new to us, and we can use them. And I think this one could very well be used in an, uh, in an election week. The word. It's an adjective, and it's objurgatory. That's right, objurgatory. Now, it's not objurgatory. This isn't some special room I have where, well, anyway, uh, objurgatory. O-B-J-U-R-G-A-T-O-R-Y. And all it means is critical. Uh, To objurgate would be to chide somebody or um, scold them. Or to imply uh, objection. Hey, I don't agree with you. I think what you're doing or what you're thinking is incorrect. Therefore, I will take an objurgatory tone with you when I tell you so. (laughs) That example is quite clunky, but there will be a chance for you to uh, use that word this week, I promise you. Objurgatory. Critical or um, complaint, complaining, essentially. You are complaining about what they're doing or what they're thinking or what they're saying. And uh, yes, you could so, again, uh, many pundits on television tonight will be taking an objurgatory tone. I, I'm certain of it. But not always do we take that kind of tone for many uh you know, for there are many things out there that we enjoy, and that brings me to things I enjoyed this week. Oh boy, and I tell you, this theme. <laughs> I will never not enjoy it. I'll tell you that. I believe last week the image was uh, a skeleton in a top hat sashaying down the street. How about, uh, well, I think. Uh, how about an Uncle Sam? Why not for Election Day? Uncle Sam out there. <laughs> he's just fed his ballot into the machine, and now he's making his way to his car. Old Uncle Sam with that big hat and the beard. You know him. He wants you. 
to dance right along with them. All right, things I enjoyed this week. Uh, this is actually something I enjoy every week. And some of you are going to scoff at this because I'm 42 years old. But uh, I want to tell you about a TV show I love. And uh, they had a Halloween uh, uh, special this week that I, I loved it. And it's um, it's uh, currently one of my favorite shows. But it's on the Disney Channel and it is a cartoon. All right. So that's where you're, some of you are going to go, oh, come on. What? You watch a Disney cartoon weekly? I do. I do. Typically Saturday or Sunday morning. Um, it's called Big City Greens, and it is one of the funniest shows on television. I, I am not making this up. It's, it is so entertaining. For adults, of course for kids. I mean, it's primarily for kids. But there's no reason adults won't like it because it is genuinely funny. Big City Greens. It's about a, a father, Bill, a farmer who loses his farm and has to move his two children to the city. And their last name are, is Green. So Bill Green, and he has a son there, uh, Cricket Green, who wears overalls and he's barefoot. And uh, boy, is he excited to be in the city. He is a country boy through and through, but the city provides him with so many new adventures, he can't stand it. And then, of course, his sister Tilly, she's quite imaginative and sort of quirky, and uh, she has her fun. Boy, she loves it, too. And they moved in with Bill's mom, Alice, the grandma, who, well, she's, <laughs> she's quite uh, ornery and uh, a bit aggressive, but... Um, Man, oh man, it's just, it's just a terrific, terrific show. It's your classic fish-out-of-water story. These farm folks moving into this uh, sort of shanty between two very tall buildings in a downtown metropolis and how they uh, are learning about a new life and how they are getting by. And it's it doesn't shy away from... Certain familial, uh, familial, um, you know, store uh, maybe difficulties such as Bill's a single dad, and his ex-wife um, is still is still comes around, and Bill and her have a very friendly relationship, but you can tell that they had a rocky past, and um, she's a good, she's a a good but a loving but sometimes irresponsible mom. And he has to remind her, hey, look, you're you can't just come in and swoop. You can't just swoop in and be the 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 fun time parent. All you some you actually have to be a mom as well. And I mean, very. I, I think it's good for a lot of families to see that sort of dynamic. And it's and it, they do so in such a funny way. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Uh, give it a shot. Big city greens. You're going to like it. Your kids are going to laugh a lot, and I think you're going to laugh a lot. I mean, my gosh, Bill is missing the tip of one of his fingers uh, due to a hay baling accident. <laughs> so there is this sort of edge to it that's uh, not by no means, um, uh, you, you know, uh, it, there, it doesn't come from uh, any malice or anything like that. It's uh, it's it's. It's it's really really clever and and fun and of course lessons are to be learned and it's sweet and I think you're you're gonna enjoy it. Uh, Big city greens. 
Oh, boy. I like it. It, uh, it answers many of life's questions, um, which I'm about to answer one of yours right now. My goodness, the questions that have been pouring in. Thank you so much. A lot of you have been asking about whether or not I'm going to have guests, and the answer is no, I'm not going to have guests. Does that mean I'll never have them? Eh, there might be a special occasion here or there. But um, uh, why am I not having guests? Because it's a pain. (laughs) I know a lot of people who have podcasts, and uh, most of the time when I talk to them, it's about, man, who am I going to get on my podcast this week? (laughs) Um, So, oh, and by the way, many of you have volunteered to be on my podcast. That's very, very nice of you, and I have no doubt that you're... uh, you're somebody that I would like to speak to, but it's just, uh, you know, I, I'm still kind of trying to figure this thing out. It's going to be a little bit before I actually know what this is. Um, and so I, it's probably best I just figure it out uh, by myself and, uh, well, with you along for the ride, of course. But anyway, this uh, for the time being, a guestless podcast. I hope that's okay. I, I do. Um, but this week's question it's a doozy. I'll tell you what. I mean, this is a big question, and I'll give you a big answer, but I, I'm going to try to keep it uh, succinct and entertaining, okay? This comes from uh, Dustin. He uh, he has some nice things to say, and he goes on to say, it sounds like you have done a lot of different things professionally over the years. Did you ever feel like your life had no direction because of all the different hats you wore. If so, how did you act how did you actively rather refine and focus your life to get you on the professional path that made you happy? That's wow. I mean, that is a question. Some might even consider it um, a little judgmental there in the middle. Uh, did you ever feel like your life had no direction? <laughs> Dustin, I do not believe that you were being judgmental. I think um You were just uh, asking an honest, uh, fair question. So, I have done many things professionally. I can't say that I felt like my life had no direction because my end game has primarily stayed the same. And what that is, is I have wanted to make uh, people laugh and or entertain people for a living. So, um, I know that's sort of vague, but uh, all of my life I have had uh, that goal, to do that in some capacity or another. Um, When I was, uh, boy, five or six, kindergarten, whatever that is, I wanted to be a stand-up comedian, and I did stand-up. Um, it, when I was in kindergarten at the school, at my school variety show and, um, did stand up then throughout, uh, elementary school. I would do it every year ex- until sixth grade when, uh, they asked me to MC the, uh, <laughs> the variety show. And I got to do jokes in between acts and stuff like that. So I knew all through elementary school and everything that I wanted to be a stand up comedian. And um, I had somewhat of a reputation of being a class clown and uh, that kind of thing. And I also wanted to be a horror writer. I uh, um, had (laughs) 
uh, much to my with their permission, but sort of with, like, I remember my dad not being thrilled. I was reading Stephen King at a very, very early age. Uh, <laughs> probably too early, but um, a very early age. And um, in fact, I had many questions for my parents that would make them cringe. I uh, There's one, um, I, I like to keep the podcast safe for work, uh, but uh, so I'm going to try to figure out how to how to tell this quick story. I was reading it, uh, and there's a scene where one of the loser club, one of the uh, losers is what they call themselves, the losers club. He's a young kid. He's walking up to a house, and this leper comes out of the house, and he's uh, you know all but falling apart, just a, a hideous, hideous. Uh, person and <laughs> the leper says to the kid hey i'll give you a um boy uh i'll i i will um i guess uh, initials what do you think initials i uh the initials would be bj all right so i will do that for a quarter if you give me a quarter i will do that it's a horrifying scene so <laughs> Anyway, I ask, uh, I, I'm reading the scene and I'm going, oh, that must be some sort of a haircut. Um, there's uh, clearly a blow dryer involved and there's, uh, uh, so it must be some sort of hairstyle that I'm just not aware of. And so I asked my parents one night, I said, hey, um, what is a, and I asked them. And <laughs> Uh, my mom sort of looked shocked and my dad, I, I remember him. He just goes, Oh no. <laughs> and he goes, why are you, what, what, where did you hear this? I go, well, I'm reading it. And he looked at my mom, like I kind of like I, I could, it was a loaded look, but to me, it, it, uh, looking back on it. What he was saying when he looked at her was, I told you he should not be reading these books. But <laughs> um, he, uh, they said, you know what, it's for adults. And, and uh, they essentially said, we're not going to tell you. They didn't even try. <laughs> and I don't blame them. It's got to be impossible. When, a kid, when your kid asks you a question like that, it's the easier, less, it's got to be, hey, you know what, you'll learn about it later. It's, I, I can't imagine going, okay, well, let me sit you down and when people like each other, I, I'm glad they didn't do that. I wouldn't have even got, I mean, it would have been, anyway. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, I But reading those books, it they, I remember my mom's argument always being, we don't want to stifle any sort of creativity uh, that he may have. By telling them that it's not okay for him to write these. And so I would write these scary stories. And they were, you know, things that a, a, a fifth grader would find scary. Um, I remember one, one story I wrote was about uh, these crazy spiders and the spiders were attacking a town and stuff. like. So they were, th- you know, very sort of silly and probably in a, in a weird way, adorable <laughs> horror stories. And they, my mom was nervous about me. Uh, you know, they just they just didn't want me to feel like I was doing something wrong, even though it did concern them a little bit, and it certainly concerned them when I would ask them questions like, "What is a uh, is is that a haircut?" 
Um, which I later found out it is not. It is not a haircut. Um, I won't tell you how I found that out, but let's just say I am no longer allowed at Great Clips. Uh, <laughs> did you notice that I left a, a pause there for you to laugh? <laughs> that is, uh, well, that's what that's what happens when uh, you've been, wanted to be a stand-up comedian since you were five. You... Uh, you learn to uh, leave a little pause. Anyway, um, when I got to junior high, the acting bug, well, and even in elementary school, really struck. And I was doing all kinds of plays and uh, theater. And I went, you know what? This is it. I want to be a, a com- I want to be a comedic actor. I want to be in movies and be funny. Um, and I still want to write these uh, scary things. <laughs> and uh, so. The stand-up bug kind of, uh, well, that itch kind of faded, and it was all about acting. And then when I got into high school, I realized, man, I really like performing these words. I think it's the words that I'm uh, that I really like, and I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to write movies and plays, and uh, I decided, um, you know what, uh, acting, I, I I love it, but I, I I think I really like the idea of being the writer behind all of it, and so. I went to college to be a writer. I I got a I got two bachelor degrees, one in media communications with an emphasis in script writing, and I got one in English with an emphasis in playwriting. And both of my I wrote a play in senior year, and I wrote a um, a screenplay, uh, and they both got honors. Um, and a couple of plays that I wrote were produced in the St. Louis area and they ran for a couple weeks and it was very exciting. And, and um, yeah, I loved it. And so I wanted to become a Hollywood screenwriter and I figured, well, I could, I, I, if the acting bug strikes, I could always uh, act in whatever I write. And uh, maybe I want to direct. That would be terrific too. And, and I really started looking into filmmaking and, and playwriting. And so so again, while all of these things, uh, I, I also there was uh, I, I should not leave this out. In high school, there were two two years where I decided um, that all of those things were fun and I would like to do them. But what I really wanted to do was radio, and I remember I uh, told my guidance counselor that in high school, and I she set it up to where I could go to a morning show in St. Louis. It was called. The Sarah and Mary Ellen show, and there are these two, these two uh, really hip, uh, fun, nice um, women in their oh, you know, late twenties or so, and and they had a morning show on the Point in St. Louis, which was the alt rock station, and it was like, man, I mean, this was mid nineties or early mid nineties, so this was uh, like the beginning of the alt station thing. I mean, the the Point had probably been on the air for a year. And anyway, I got to go in, and it was, man, talk, uh, worlds collided. When I went in to sit in with them all morning, and they would talk to me on the air a little bit, but mostly I was just there to, it was called shadowing, career shadowing, so I would shadow them, see how it all worked, and they would talk to me. Well, who was their guest that morning but the great comedian John Caponera, and he was in there, and he was doing his Harry Carey material, and he was uh, working at the Funny Bone, and it was kind of like, oh my gosh, here I am shadowing uh, some radio DJs and a comedian is in here too and I can 
Uh, man, I mean, this is incredible. Um, but when I finally got to college radio, well, I'll tell you what happened. I was reading an article about, um, I'm sorry, that's wrong. I was listening to a radio show and the DJ said, if you want to get into, he was just kind of talking and I remember offhandedly, he goes, if you want to be in radio, you have to love music more than anything else. And I, I, that really struck me. I went, oh, you know what? I think I love movies more than music, and it makes sense that if you're going to be in radio, you have to love music more than anything else, but I love movies more. And so in college, I ended up focusing more on on that kind of thing. So while I'm in college, uh, I start working at Rawlings Sporting Goods to pay for college and to pay for um, everything. I, I was still living at home, but I was of an age. I, uh, my dad, my parents started charging me rent. <laughs> you know what? And now I, I, uh, well, my dad's no longer with us, but I, I, I'd love to ask them what they were doing here because my parents wouldn't let me move out, but they insisted I start paying rent. <laughs> what a racket now that I think about it. The next time I talk to my mom, I'm going to have to go, what the hell was going on here? So, <laughs> um, honestly, now that I think about it more, they didn't start charging me rent until I started uh, working. So I think they knew, hey, he's got some money. We, I, I, Whatever. They ripped me off. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. They, they, they stole from their own son. I don't think there's any way, <laughs> any other way to look at it. But anyway, you need a job. So I happened to have a friend who was working at the mailroom of the of the corporate office of Rawlings Sporting Goods in St. Louis, and I he said, "Hey, I need an, I need a helper to help run the uh, mailroom." And the good thing about it is it's sort of part time. So you instead of coming instead of working eight to five, you can work nine to two and still be able to go to school and do your homework and all that stuff. And it worked out great. It was it paid well uh, for me at the time, and uh, I'm sure it was sort of a not quite, I mean, a little better than minimum wage, but it paid, you know, it was an hourly salary that I, that helped, helped me buy my books for college and it helped me pay for things I, I wanted to do. But looking back, I don't know how I did this because what ended up happening was he got a different job and I became the full-time mail, uh, mailroom clerk at Rawlings. And so I was working eight to five, but my boss would let me leave for my classes so what was happening was I would go into work and I would work from like 8 to 10 and then I would go take a course um, uh, you know an hour and a half or whatever I'd drive to my school and then I would drive back to work and then I would leave work and I had night classes every day of the week so I and they were um, like four they were four hours long so I would get out of work at five go go to school from 5 30 to 9 30 because there were these four-hour um, workshops, and they were once a week, and they were eight weeks. So um, they were all different topics. Um, so essentially, you were cramming a semester's worth into eight weeks, so that's why they were four hours long. So I was uh, on the move from you know 7.30 a.m. to 10 p.m., and I somehow kept that job and graduated college, <laughs> which is, uh, I, I don't know how, I, I must have been running on 
Well, I, I you know, I guess 20-year-old energy. And uh, did okay um, with my grades. I, I, I ended up uh, graduating after five years. The reason I went an extra year is because my counselor at the time said, hey, if you go an extra year, you can leave here with two degrees as opposed to just one. And so that's how I got the English and the media communications degree. So I left, I graduated college, and I went, all right, now I am going to start writing for a living. How am I going to do this? I don't know. And that's when Rawlings asked me if I wanted a new job going out on the road, traveling to every major league baseball stadium in the country to promote Rawlings Sporting Goods. And I thought, okay, if I take this job, I'm on the road all the time, and I am not pursuing what I went to school for, but they're going to pay me to travel the country. I'm going to have a per diem, so I'm essentially living on somebody else's dime, and I'm going to I'm going to see the the United States, and I'm going to actually go to every ballpark in one. How can I turn this down? This is sort of a once in a. So I said yes, and I I put. My aspirations aside for that gig, and what a gig it was. I traveled nonstop for five five months. It started in, uh, well, spring training and ended at the World Series, so whatever, however many months that is. It may even be more than five, but it's it was um, quite something, and I got to do some thrilling things. I got to go to, and I, and I did this, uh, this job <laughs> ended up being... Um, multiple years. So it did sidetrack me from my main career goals, but it paid my bills and it gave me the opportunity to travel, to see the country, to learn a lot and to, uh, um, you know, be, just be a young man out out seeing, seeing the United States. It was quite something. Um, boy, I got to go to all-star games and I got to go to spring training and meet Baseball players, and uh, I think I ended up going to all but uh, four or five of the stadiums. So there's still some on my list before I can say that I've been to every one. But a heck of a thing. And after after a while, I got tired of being on the road. And they were also having me do a second job at Rawlings, I was a copywriter. So I was writing uh, catalog descriptions and annual report introductions and all these things. And I said, hey, I'm doing a ton of copywriting for you. I want to get off the road. How about you just hire me on as a copywriter? And they said no. And I said, all right, well, can I at least stop working with the gentleman I was working with? He was about my age, but he was one of the worst alcoholics I've ever been around. And and by that, I mean, not only was he drinking all the time, he was not good at it. I mean, he was just not a good person when he was drinking. He was, he was, he and I had a lot of laughs and um, I don't want to speak ill of him because, well, and I don't want to bum you out. He ended up passing away from, uh, he, he, I just found this out a couple years ago. He, we, we hadn't been staying in touch, but I found out through mutual friends that he had a family and he decided he was going to clean up. And so for he took 30 days 
and he uh, cleaned up and he he walked out of rehab after those 30 days and he walked right into a bar and he drank himself to death. And uh, so something obviously didn't click with the rehab. So I don't like speaking ill of him because he and I were friends and we 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 were we we went through a lot, but he was just an awful person to be around when he was drinking. And so I said, "Hey, if you're not going to make me a full-time copywriter, can I at least get you know, can I get move on from this guy and they said no and I said well you know what I'm gonna have to I'm, I have to quit and so I quit that job and said okay now is the time for me to focus on what I really want to do and that is entertain people and I was at home one night and some of you have uh, asked me you've written in and you said what who are my main comedic influences so this will sort of answer that as well I was watching uh, HBO and I saw that Robert Schimmel's new special, which was called Unprotected, was coming on and I watched it and laughed and laughed and it quickly became my favorite comedy special. <laughs> and uh, I immediately went, I, I and I had known of Robert Schimmel and I had always liked him, but this special just blew me away and I went back and listened to his old stuff and I went, you know what? That's what I want to do. My The kindergartner in me went, like all of those uh, aspirations to be a stand-up comedian came rushing back. And I went, okay, that's what, this is what I want to do. So I went to some open mics at the Funny Bone in St. Louis and watched and went, okay, so I need to come up with five minutes. And then I'm going to go back and sign up. And I'm going to do it. So uh, that's, uh, yeah, that's what I did. I, so I started getting into open mic comedy uh, stand-up. And I have to back up a little bit. For a few years after I graduated college, while I was still working with Rawlings, um, in the winter and spring, well, uh, the non-baseball season, I was home a lot. And I joined an improv troupe in St. Louis and we would do short form improv on the weekends and we got paid five dollars a show but it was essentially whose line is it anyway live and uh we I had a great time and learned a lot about improv comedy well um did that for maybe three or four years and it was a lot of fun but I went you know what uh, I and some of my buddies were moving to Chicago and uh I was going to move with them, but decided not to, uh, decided to stay in St. Louis because I was going to pursue, they were going to, to Chicago to pursue improv and second city and all that stuff. And I wanted to pursue stand up. So I decided, all right, if I'm going to do stand up comedy, I might as well stay here in St. Louis. So I started doing open mics and, um, they were going okay, and then eventually that led into hosting work, which eventually led into feature work, which is the guy that goes up after the host and does 25 minutes before the headliner goes up. Well, in the meantime, uh, I had a day job because I had to pay the bills, and there was this office gig that I hated and that I wasn't good at, and I was pretty miserable. <laughs> Um, except for when I was doing stand-up, but I couldn't just quit and I needed money. I was living, I was on my own. 
Um, I had to pay bills. I had debts to pay off, you know, student loans, everything. So uh, I had to kind of keep this job. But I ended up leaving this one, and it's uh, it all comes down. The reason I left, I I can only blame David Hasselhoff, and here's how. Uh, <laughs> I was uh, again, I was not good at this job, so I I'm not going to. I have to take some responsibility here. I simply wasn't good at it, and I didn't like it, so there was no way I was going to get good at it. But it paid me thirty six thousand a year, and I had never had money like that before, and um. Anyway, and, and I was just happy to be getting a, a steady paycheck again. So so one day, uh, my, my manager never really cared for me because I was always joking around, of course. And uh, I, I get it or whatever. But she, she, she really didn't like – she didn't like me. Uh, she didn't need to dislike me as much as she did. <laughs> yes, I joked around, but I certainly didn't deserve the venom that she, she uh, would spit at me every now and again. And other people that I worked with were like, dude. I don't know why she hates you so because everybody I kind of, I worked with thought I was okay or you know. So anyway, I get this email sent to me and it's David Hasselhoff and he's got his shirt off and his chest hairs, you know, uh, glorious or whatever and he's and it says uh, have a happy weekend or something. I mean, that's literally all it said. Uh, it was either happy Friday or have a happy weekend. And so I sent it to three or four of the people that I work with, that I worked with in my department who I knew would think it was silly. I didn't send it to everybody. I sent it to I, I specifically sent it to people I knew who would think it was funny. And uh, a guy who did think it was funny was sitting in the cubicle next to me. And he yells out, oh, Josh, thanks for sending me this highly offensive email. And he was being sarcastic. Well, my manager hears this. <laughs> and unbeknownst to me, brought him into her office and said, hey, what was this offensive email that Josh sent out? Well, you you need to send it to me, and he did, feeling bad, but he did, he gave it to her or whatever. So then I get this. Uh, uh, this was a Friday, so I leave, and Monday morning I get in, and it says, uh, "Josh, you have a meeting at eight oh five, and I got in like at eight with my manager. So I go in, and she proceeds to tell me how inappropriate it was that I sent this email out, and how offended she was when she saw it that she couldn't believe uh, that something so offensive would be out there and that I would think it was okay to send out. And she went on and on. Then she started talking about my performance, uh, which she had legitimate gripes about. Um, But uh, it was probably 15 minutes worth of, uh, well, you know what she was doing. She was uh, being quite objurgatory with me. I'll be honest. So she stopped and she goes, uh, you know, what do you have to say? And I said, well, your complaints about my performance, I get. I'm not doing a very good job. And the reason is I don't like this job. And when it comes to the email I sent out, I don't believe you for a second that you were offended. I think you are you going to use this as an excuse to fire me. And I'm telling you that you have my blessing. I want you to fire me right now. And she was sort of stunned. <laughs> and she goes, no, I was offended by that. I go, you weren't. You, you, there's no way you found that offensive at all. But I know that you're telling me that because you want to get rid of me. So please fire me. And she goes, I'm not going to fire you. And I said, well, then what is all this about? And she said, do you want 
to quit. (laughs) And I said, well, can you just fire me? That way I can collect some sort of unemployment until I get my new job. I have bills. And she said, I'm not going to fire you. You have to quit. And I went, oh, my gosh. I go, you know what? I quit. All right. And I went back to my desk and I wrote up my three-week notice because uh, for whatever reason, that's how the billing cycle was going to work out. I wanted the last uh, paycheck. I I forget exactly, but it was a three-week notice. And uh, I had to send it to her and I had to send it to the company's HR department. And within, man, two minutes, I got a letter back from HR saying, you are terminated or uh, uh, your three-week notice is... Um, effective immediately, you're going to be leaving the building in 30 minutes <laughs> and we'll pay you for two weeks, not the three weeks that you asked for. So I just, um, uh, somebody from HR immediately came over. I had to pack up my stuff. And uh, <laughs> I remember one particularly sort of telling moment about how I had no business being there was she said, you can't take anything that's company property. And I said, may I please have this floppy disk. And she said, yes. And I said, may I um, uh, save something off of my computer onto this floppy disk? And she said, well, what is it? And I said, well, I've been spending a lot of my time here working on a screenplay. (laughs) And I would like to save it. (laughs) And, uh, she unbelievably let me save it to this save my script to this floppy disk and um take it with me and then I had an exit interview and the exit I was so honest in the exit interview and I guess likable enough that I, I couldn't believe this the human resources people in the exit interview said to me hey look if you ever want a job here in a different department we will be your references. <laughs> we would have, we 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 just don't think that this department and that supervisor were a good fit for you, but we like you and we think that you're honest and we, and we would ha- happily hire you back here in some other capacity. And I was floored. Oh my gosh! But instead, I ran straight to South Korea, <laughs> and I know that's quite a leap, but. I had been talking to some friends about getting out of that job and really shaking up my life. I had also gone through a recent breakup, and I just went, you know what? I, I, I'm in my 20s still, and I should probably – I, I want to do something where I can save a lot of money and pay off some bills and um, – uh, and do some writing at the same time. And I went, maybe teaching abroad is the way to go. Because I had heard that you work like 20 hours and you you make a bunch of money and they pay for all your living expenses and things. And you, um, so it sounded like a dream to me. I could save all this money. I, could, I had time to write. And so that's what I did. I ended up going to South Korea and I will continue this next week. I don't like to leave you hanging, but I also know that you've got other things going on. So I will leave off right here, and uh, we'll talk about South Korea. I told you this was a big question, and it's a great question. And I, my, oh man, I, 
I, uh, I hope that it's been interesting so far. Um, so, uh, yeah, I will kind of continue my, my audio biography uh, next week. So um, let me know if this is interesting or if I skip something you want to hear more about or if you want to hear much less about this. <laughs> Whatever. Um, but I do want to get to this before uh, I, I leave you. Because I, I, I love this. I love uh, when we try to, well, we try to better ourselves. This is, of course, things to work on this week. Ah, isn't that nice? That is happy music, and why not? It's always good. It's always a positive thing to try to make ourselves better people and to feel better and do better. And, uh, well, here's what I would like for you to do this week. I know it's something I'm going to, to do. Um, I would like for you at some point in this week, if you need to, okay, this might not be for everybody. And, uh, oh, you know what I should do? I should tell you, uh, I, I forgot to mention our sponsor at the, uh, the beginning of the show. Um, and, uh, I mean, that's the worst thing you can do on a podcast is not mention who your sponsor is. It's well, look, they keep the lights on. All right. And, uh, we don't have an official, you know, paying sponsor, uh, right now. So, uh, uh but we do have. Sponsors and this week's sponsor, uh, just r- real quickly, a warm soft towel. Isn't that nice? A, a nice warm soft towel. Oh my gosh! Now, often uh, you can get soft towels, but not often do you get the warmth. You know, you get out of a shower and your towel's there. But isn't it wonderful when it's warm? Oh my gosh! You wrap that around you, it seems to dry you off a little quicker. Just feels so good. Or you know, you're in a pool and that towel's been waiting for you on the the chair. And it's been sunning itself, and then you wrap that. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, a nice, soft, warm towel is our sponsor this week. Thank you. Nice, warm towel. Anyway, things we learned to work on this week. I would like you to turn off the news. This is going to be – this could be a fairly tumultuous day, night, week, whatever – and yes, it's important. The, the things that are going on are important, and you want to stay um, informed. But it's okay to turn off the news. You can do it. You can you can get your fill. And while all of these things that are going on, uh, yeah, they're important. Uh, it doesn't need to rule your life. Okay, there are more important things, and I guarantee those things are probably in the same room with you as you're, when you're watching the news. So. So when, you, when you're feeling yourself get angry or stressed or exhausted or, or confused, worried, turn it off and go for a walk or do anything else, all right? Namely, talk to the people you're with. See what's going on with them. And don't talk about the news. Talk about their news, what they're enjoying, what they're hoping to enjoy uh, coming up. And uh, spend some time with, well, with the, the real people in your life, all right? And then, you know, after you get that nice break, a little respite, you can turn it back on, but don't be afraid to turn it off, okay? And please, uh, join me again for the, uh, the rest of <laughs> my professional career highlights next week i really really appreciate you guys email me at josh podcast at bob and i love hearing from you 
and I do my best to get back to you. If I don't, don't be insulted or hurt. Um, I, I really do appreciate your comments, and I appreciate you, okay? Have a terrific week, everybody.